We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hey everybody, Steve with Sense Fidelity. I'm coming out with another book review, and this one you probably never even heard of before, but this is the beauty of it. Father Nixon, who I've had on before to do, he did uh, Crown of the Virgin, uh, and he also has another one coming out on Angels by St. Luigi Gonzaga, which we'll do another one later on that. But Father, how you doing? Thank you for coming back on. I'm very well, Steve, uh, and, and how are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I can't complain. I'm doing a lot better than what the, the people you wrote about did. Uh, tell us about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Th um, this, now this book. Was, I was yeah. going to say it's kind of like with these guys, but you've heard of the Carthusian Martyrs. This is on that topic, but in was in France, Belgium, other places, uh, not just the English yeah. uh, descent. So in this book, which was written by uh, by Arnold Havens, who was a historian and Carthusian monk, who lived back in the uh, in the 15th century, he recounts all of the tremendous acts of torture which were committed against Catholics during the uh, years of of the Protestant schism, and these things were still within living memory when he was writing. So he had the direct evidence. He knew exactly what happened. And he felt it was so important to record these so that people could get a glimpse of, of the real face of what was going on. And he wrote this book entitled, appropriately, The Mirror of Cruelty, and describes these things. And what's so fascinating about this is we, you know, a lot of people have heard of some of the Carthusian martyrs. Of course, Catholics know about the, the martyrdom of St. John Fisher and uh, St. Thomas More. Mm -hmm. But um, a lot of historians have chosen to write these things out of history, which I guess is kind of understandable because, you know, they're pretty shocking if you read the book. Um, oh. But I felt that it was important from the point of view of, of, of honesty and scholarly integrity of presenting these things, which... Um, which otherwise are just going to be lost. You know, they're going to be buried within the realms of the huge amount of Latin literature, which is out there, but which doesn't uh, get translated, of course, and not so many people um, read 17th century Latin books these days. So I, th I felt it was important to bring to modern Catholics to, uh, to, to bring an insight into the, the true face of what we call the Reformation. Yeah, he mentioned first. How'd you find the book? Second, yeah, the uh, the the yeah the priest that wrote it. He goes in detail saying, "I am not making this stuff up. I got this from here. I'm a contemporary. I also have friends of mine who saw this in li like live action and found this from other books. So it's like these these stories. Half the time I'm going, 
there's no way this is true. But he, he double downs every time you, you see you think that in your head. Yes, this happened. He, he, yeah, he does. You know, he 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 makes reference to numerous different sources. He talks, he's talked to eyewitnesses, you know. Some of the stuff actually happened in the community in which he was situated himself. So these were first-hand accounts. Uh, so there's no exaggeration there. And if we look back at, um, you know, the other parallel uh, historical records of the time, you find that, in fact, it, it all does add up. Um, so, yeah, so he's, it, it's not, uh, you know, I mean, obviously he's writing from a Catholic point of view and his interest is to, uh, to demonstrate the cruelty which was committed against Catholics. But having said that, he's not exaggerating, he's not lying, because these things were still within living memory. And the, the people he was writing for, on the one hand, of course, he was writing for Catholics. But at this time, there were still a lot of people who didn't really know for sure whether they were still Catholics or not. I mean, people who weren't actually involved in the theological disputes and everything, and would suddenly wake up one day to find that the that the area in which they lived was suddenly no longer Catholic. And, you know, um, so there was this ambiguity. So, so he, was, he was writing for the purpose of, of bringing true knowledge, uh, you know, uh, accurate information to people uh, in the face of a lot of cover-ups. How did you find this book? How did I find this? Well, yeah, um, you know, I, I... Yeah. Um, of course, I, I'm familiar with the story of the Carthusian martyrs. So for those of you who don't know about Carthusian monks, they're uh, a kind of very strict order of monks, much stricter than we Benedictines are. So they follow silence much more um, strictly. They begin their prayer, I think, um, you know, at midnight or something. We begin at like, you know, 4.30 or something in the morning. But um, and like a lot of the Carthusians, What's that, Steve? So you slackers. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're kind of, the Benedictines are, I won't say we're the slackers of the monastic world, but <laughs> certainly we're, we're pretty moderate uh, in, in a lot of respects. I kid, I kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now, um, the Carthusians, there was a, a, a well-known incident of Carthusians being martyred in England, and this was um, an action of Henry VIII. And he, um, he had, you know, he basically divorced his wife and remarried. And he was still keen at that stage to get the stamp of approval from the church. So he went around to all the religious communities he could find. And he was eager for, for at least one of them to, you know, to give him their approval. So he thought he could bully the Carthusians. But uh, little did he know that they completely refused. And then... He uh, was was seized by what can only be described as a diabolical fit of rage, and subjected them to the most horrendous tortures uh, before executing them all. And it was researching this incident that I that I came across this book by uh, by Arnold Havens, who who in fact had written about that at some length, and with access to the because he was a Carthusian himself, so with access to the direct records of the incident. So that was how I discovered this book. And, and I felt really, you know, compelled to share it with the modern readership. And, and of course, you, you uh, yourself had, had encouraged me with that, that it was uh, something which was important. And I, and I realized that 
a lot of these things were just a, were only treated as footnotes in history or were just glossed over almost completely. So I, I thought, you know, um, people are, are mature enough to, uh, to take this on board and to know what really happened. Yeah, I remember we were talking about the, should we leave the, uh, should you leave the, uh, uh, how'd you say, the really heavy uh, graphic yeah. parts it, in? Because this, this isn't a G-rated book. I mean, you don't get into yeah. vulgarity or anything, but it's graphic. It, it is, it is. And Steve, there is one part, I admit, which I, I included in Latin, not translated, because um, because really it was just too shocking. I mean, there's there's really shocking stuff in here, but this was just um, you know beyond the scope of what I thought could be put in print, even for a for an academic readership. So you know, people if they want to read it will have to learn Latin. You know, um, <laughs> but but yeah, apart from that. Uh, one exception. I've, I've included everything which is in there. And as you said, it doesn't actually include um, what you would call a, a obscenity or anything like that. Uh, it's it's all expressed, you know, in, in, in an appropriate way and and through euphemisms and so forth. But but certainly the reality is there. And it is a very shocking reality. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I was blown away by the castration that was very prevalent. It seemed in a lot of these stories. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and, and this was, uh, you know, uh, something which which is is quite a prominent and repeated type of thing, and um, it really highlights the difference between the um, the schismatic persecution of the Catholics and the Catholic approach. Of course, the Catholics had the Inquisition. But the thing is about the Inquisition is it was conducted according to definite laws. There were always a big number of witnesses present and everything that was that, that happened was recorded. And one of the things about the Inquisition is that it specified that although physical coercion could be used, it had to be of a kind that wouldn't result in any permanent harm or death. Whereas when we see the uh, schismatics, whether it's Lutherans or uh, or Calvinists, we see a kind of overflowing of diabolical rage, and they're not governed by any laws or principles, but it's just this kind of uh, black evil which is swelling up. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the uh, castrations and things which which were such a feature. And you know, um, I'll I'll read to you one of these passages which happened. Uh, and you know, I apologise to anyone. Uh, you know, if you're if you're of a weak stomach, then you know perhaps uh, don't listen to this next part. But this is something which happened in France and was done by the Calvinists. And it seemed that the Calvinists were were particularly cruel. And as you know, one of their beliefs is it doesn't particularly matter what you do in this world, because you're either chosen by God to be saved were chosen by God to be damned. And he writes, uh, in another location in France, there was a certain monk who fell into the hands of the schismatics. They amputated his organ of manhood, cooked it, and then forced him to eat it to the accompaniment of mockery and ribald derision. Following this, and perversely eager to see what had become of what they had compelled him to consume, 
They brutally cut this poor monk open in the middle, perforated his stomach, and then left him to die in pain. So pretty shocking stuff there. I, I kind of knew you were going to go for that one right there. There was another one when they, they wore their man as hats and paraded around town. <laughs> and, and the author says yeah. something. You would not see that from Muslims or all these. He, he goes, he goes, and you wouldn't see this brutality from all these other barbarians. But these other guys no. that, come, that can say they're Christian are parading like this is uh, a trophy. Yeah. And, and, and this, this is relating, uh, that, that incident you mentioned, Steve, is relating to the Franciscan martyrs at Gorkum, uh, which, is, which is in Holland. And these martyrs were all, um, have all been canonized by the church. You know, their martyrdom is a well-recognized historical fact. But what we read about the way that these martyrs were treated uh, in the end, so they were all, you know, they were a group of Franciscans, the whole community was arrested and taken into captivity. Um, but then, as to the way they were put to death, they were made to parade through the streets, you know, being, being beaten and mocked. They were being forced to, to sing the Psalms and Marian antiphons, which they were doing quite sincerely, uh, you know. But, but what happened was that one of them, who was, uh, you know, particularly obese, you know, which I guess is an unfortunate physical condition some people have. They actually cut him up and, and sold his body parts to manufacturers of perfumes. Um, and so that they say for some time afterwards, the perfume sellers were selling, you know, this perfume was made out of the, the fat of this monk or this monk. Then, as you mentioned, they, um, they amputated the uh the genitalia of, of these franciscans and the soldiers you know thought it was the funniest thing in the world to wear them around on their helmets for you know for some time afterwards and this uh, appalling depravity you know um which as you said is quite unrivaled in in what we would call the uncivilized world and in the records of of history to my mind it points to the fact that wasn't just theological or political considerations which impelled these people, but it was an actual uh, type of demonic possession. I don't want to sound too melodramatic, but basically that was what, what it was. Because there's nothing else which could uh, compel human beings to act in this way. At least that's what I believe. Yeah, that's a, that's a how would you say, anger or rage at another level, as you say, demonic level almost. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes I think we get a, a false impression of what the uh, Reformation was really about. And I call it the Reformation using the commonly accepted term, but, you know, it's questionable whether that is really a, an appropriate term for it. But you read the um, theological polemical works, you know, and you think, oh, questions about how are people saved and whether there's purgatory and things like that. But to my mind, none of those questions are, um, are of a nature which should drive people to this type of furious hatred. Um, so I think that those theological questions were really just, uh, you know, a kind of veneer for something which was uh, much more sinister that was going on. 
Uh, again, before anybody out there thinks, oh, that's just too far-fetched. Again, the painting behind me, that's an altarpiece of the Carthusian martyrs. They're getting gutted. Their intels are, in, intestines are being taken out, drawn, quartered. You guys heard me reading yeah. from the mementos of English martyrs for every day of the year. They talk about stuff like this. So, And in the book, they talk about taking their internals out and feeding it to the swine or having rats go through them or things like this. Oh, you, you know, they, they, there's a few very shocking things um, there. Now, you mentioned the one uh, about rats. And what happened in this particular case, this was, uh, this was in Holland, uh, by the Calvinists again. And what they did, you know, they, they put this uh, steel basin with rats upon a person's stomach and then applied heat to it. And then the rats, of course, become uh, infuriated and then literally gnaw through the person's stomach. And this was the, the, the type of torture which, which was being used, which uh, is, is absolutely appalling. And you think, well, how could people possibly have even imagined that kind of thing? Um, we read another one where they, this was in France, where they actually cut a person open and then stuffed him with oats and barley and then set uh, hungry horses onto him. I think, well, gee, that's, um, that's really almost uh, unimaginable. But these kind of things were actually well documented. So uh, Havens here is writing things, but most of the things he writes are to be found in other sources as well. Yeah, again, he mentions it repeatedly, saying, you know, he's a, trying to be trying to be as credible as he humanly can. Or oh, there's a one part about the priest that they covered in honey, and they asked, was it a sheep to come in to lick it up? Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that one, because this is actually the, the last story which occurs yes. in the book. And uh, this is about uh, a person called uh, Balthazar of Burgundy. And um, I should mention that this Balthazar of Burgundy had actually committed a crime. He had uh, assassinated the Prince of Orange, who was known as William the Silent. The reason he assassinated him was because this prince had kind of made a treaty. He'd promised not to persecute the Catholics, even though he was uh, a Calvinist himself. And then he, he revoked on that. He kind of betrayed his promise. And so for that reason, uh, this Balthazar concluded to himself that uh, Prince William, you know, should be executed. And he, he actually did, he shot him dead. This is believed to have been the first assassination of the head of state uh, with a firearm. But anyway, Havens doesn't excuse him for that crime, but what happened to him after he was captured? So firstly, uh, they placed him in custody. During his first night in prison, he was beaten some five times with rods, leaving his entire body most atrociously bruised and lacerated, and indeed almost flayed. After these five beatings, his captors smeared his whole body with honey, and then a goat was put in his cells. The intention was that the hungry goat would eagerly lick the honey off him, as is the custom of such insatiably greedy creatures. Because a goat's tongue is extremely rough and abrasive, 
This would, of course, cause great pain to his wounded and almost skinless flesh. So they believed. But the goat did not turn upon Balthazar's honey-drenched body at all, but rather timidly fled from him, contrary to all expectations. Upon perceiving this, they were all greatly astonished. But, undeterred from their cruel intentions, the guards tied Balthazar to a rat uh, by his hands and feet and forcibly stretched out his body upon this instrument of torture. The result was that all his joints were dislocated, his tendons and ligaments were twisted and torn, and his limbs were left distended and contorted. Then he was enclosed within a small system, in such a way that he was unable either to sit or to lie down, but held in a position of maximum discomfort. During this time, tortures were repeated against him. The guards placed his feet into two tall boots filled with leather, uh, made from leather, which was then filled with oil. Then his whole body was smeared with oil and lard, and then he was brought into close proximity to a blazing fire, so that both the oil with the boots and the lard on his body heared up and became of scorching and blistering intensities. After this, flames were applied to his armpits, then a kind of bitter sap was rubbed into his body. Next, shards of wood were forcibly inserted beneath his fingernails. But in the midst of all of this, he gave not the slightest sign of any indication of pain or discomfort. His torturers were utterly amazed and perplexed and asked him how it was that he could endure such things and apparently experience no pain. But he responded calmly, by means of prayer, all things were made good. After this, they stripped him completely and applied tortures to all of his body, causing him horrendous scorching. Yet in all of this, his countenance remained imperturbably serene, with his heart and his mind fixed upon divine realities. Then they cast him to the ground again cruelly severing his organ of masculinity, and then stretched out his limbs in the manner of a cross, slicing open his abdomen. His intestines were then dragged from his still living body. All the while, the faithful and steadfast man continued to move his lips constantly in a ceaseless litany of silent prayer. Finally, the schismatic butchers struck off his head and then hacked his decapitated corpse into four portions. So, Steve, that really um, has to present the apex of human cruelty, this great accumulation of dreadful acts, you know, it's not, and this is, this is actually uh, someone who's been taken an official prisoner by the Calvinist state. And this is how he's treated. It, uh, it really sickens the mind to think about. And you mentioned, well, the one thing to bring out about this, you see all the cruelty is the piety from the people being tortured is he, some praise God during it. Uh, the one, the one you mentioned about the, uh, it was so bad. You just included the Latin verse. She helped teach and educate and be charitable to all yeah. the people that basically tortured her. And did all those things to her, and she and she still basically forgave them all. Um, 
you see yeah. the you see the Catholic love of your enemy in these the Carthusians when they go. It seemed like in one part was that the uh, the Carthusian incidents. They go to the guy at the gate. They they take him out. They get the cook. They take him out. It's almost a strategic thing, but and all these guys are just still cool, calm, and confident when they're getting executed yeah. to the point when they lose yeah, their set. Uh, this this is the remarkable uh, thing, Steve, that we see the divine grace actually taking having a powerful effect upon these people when they face persecutions. And they can, thanks to this divine grace, they can uh, not only accept all these pains and horrendous tortures with courage and confidence, but beyond that, they even retain a charitable and forgiving attitude towards their persecutors. You know, and in this, I think, of course, the model of Christ, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Um, that something of Christ's spirit is very much present in them. And, you know, this is true of every case of, of martyrdom, that the, the death of the martyr is uh, mystically united with the death of Christ. And this is a tremendous source of grace. And I, I think explains this uh, totally amazing uh, courage, which, which is shown, and, and, and charity as well. So uh, at this point, you know, God always gives us the grace which we need no matter how much, how dreadful something might seem to be. You know, and, and when we look at the history of the tortures of Catholics, uh, it's quite amazing how few of them actually reneged on their faith in the face of these things. I mean, of course, there were a few, but, but on the whole, um, God provides the strength which is needed. Yeah, you think about Alphonse's book, Victory of the Martyrs, uh, huge huge book on that and just glorious on you read those guys and even like there's i remember a story from that one or there's a a guy about to apostatize and a kid screams out basically challenges them calls them out and he ends up changing his mind and goes through his martyrdom and, and joy afterwards and then the the japanese when they uh one guy goes home and says let me go home and get changed it gets in his sunday best to go get executed uh yeah the yeah. the long history of the martyr the, i mean Again, the mementos of English martyrs. There's how many guys that we've never heard of before and would gloriously go to their deaths in joy and saying, you know, I forgive you or take me, you're doing, keep your hands steady. You're taking me to heaven or things like that too. To the executioner is about to chop his head off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something which we find throughout the story of, of so many martyrs, uh, particularly a lot included here that it, it kind of frustrates the persecutors when they realize that they're not able to fill these people with fear. And, uh, you know, when they see them continuing to pray for them and to, to show charity to them. And in quite a few of the cases, actually, he, uh, Havens recounts that even the crowds, even the soldiers began to be moved by pity, you know, and it, it shows that, uh, you know, it might be a cliche, but love really does conquer all things and uh you know you think about christ himself and the supreme love which he showed on the cross and of course at the time it seemed like it was an utter defeat but because of that love his message came to prevail over the whole world you know it came to uh came to touch the hearts of, of so many 
And well, there's a, you great, know, I think a couple of saints that would talk about complaining about things. And our Lord would appear on the cross going, what do I have? Do I, can I not complain being like this? And he never complained once. Yeah, that, that's very true. You know, and, um, and I think even though most of us in our daily lives don't face anything, uh, well, obviously we don't face anything like the martyrs uh, did. But, but at the same time, we can face, you know, small trials and challenges and, you know, persecutions or whatever. And uh, to bear in mind, to put it all into context, that, that what we face is, uh, you know, is always in union with Christ and also compared to what Christ himself and the martyrs faced is very small. So um, remembering also the eternal glory of heaven, you know, this, this uh, infinitude of bliss and we face here in this earthly life small troubles, but they're nothing compared to the glory that awaits us. Yeah, I remember when I was reading this, I was just thinking, man, if this happens to me, I'm going to go running screaming like a little girl. These guys are so much manlier than I. But you need, we need to pray harder for fortitude. I mean, is that one of the yeah, things? Well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, well, uh, Steve, I, I, I kind of agree with you there. When I was translating it myself, you know, uh, it, was, it was actually a kind of uncomfortable text to translate in a lot of ways because, you know, I was imagining... Uh, this stuff happening, and I was thinking, well, you know, I, I would, uh, I would probably run a mile <laughs> um, if I could, uh, you know. But of course, there's that grace which which takes its effect, which you can't always foresee how you're going to respond in an extreme situation. But but you know, certainly the thought of this uh, physical pain is is something which um, you know you wonder how anyone could put up with it I, I think of course the the only answer is is the grace of god that it's um a supernatural strength which is imparted to people in times of need yeah what what is something that people can get out of this outside the historical context and maybe hopefully that they'll pray for it all right obviously it's not as bad as that is i need to be more joyful and if that time ever does come need to pray for you know as as yeah. Saint Peter say, I will go die for you, and then he fell to a little girl in the in the in the courtyard, and then he figured out I, I need I can't do it on my own. I'm going to need the big guy for help on this because I'm going to fall. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Steve, I think there's a, a few spiritual lessons for um, for modern Catholics to get out of this book. First one is that um, you know the war against evil is it's not over that there are still sinister forces at work uh, in the world in ways which might not immediately be obvious you know and that uh, when when we suffer or whatever we're actually uh, if we're suffering for uh, for our faith and for the truths of the church we're participating in this uh, in this conflict so it's uh, it's something which we should in a sense kind of welcome you know that we're playing our part as soldiers of christ and this happens both in the public forum you know with uh, to do with social issues and so forth it also happens of course in in the private forum of our own lives you know temptations and so forth i think also what we can learn from this is that um suffering is an intrinsic part of of our christian vocation 
You know, there's no Christian who escapes the suffering, uh, some degree of suffering and persecution. As Christ himself says, you know, uh, if they've hated me, they'll hate you. And the times will come when they'll drag you before princes and governors and so forth. Well, we might not literally be dragged before princes and governors and that kind of thing, but uh, in a sense, there's always going to be that persecution, that ostracization and so forth. Because the values of God are uh, inherently in opposition to the values of the world, which means the entity which we call the world, which is somewhat uh, nebulous in a philosophical sense, but it is uh, by its very nature opposed to the message of God, to the salvation of the gospel. So we need to, um, to expect a certain amount of suffer, uh, suffering a certain amount of persecution um, and to unite ourselves, to see ourselves as part of this great history, um, beginning with Christ and going through all the martyrs and saints. And if we can be part of the company uh, of, of saints and martyrs in our own small way, um, you know, that's a wonderful thing because they're enjoying eternal glory and, and bliss in the kingdom of heaven, which is, of course, where we all hope to end up, God willing. Amen to that. If you want the book, here it is at Trivent uh, Publishing, Trivent, uh, Trivent slash publishing that EU. It's a long one. I'll have it in the show notes. It's Mirror of Cruelty. It, it, it and, and also, will also be available uh, through Amazon and Book Depository within the next few days, uh, Steve. Right, right. And, and available in. Is available paperback, hard hardcover, hardcover for my English-speaking people, ebook uh, again on Amazon. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic little mm -hmm. book. Uh, again, it's not for the faint of heart either, but uh, history isn't. No, it, uh, no. It, great. Look, look, Steve. It, it, I think it's a it's a great book. It's not a book you want to buy your grandmother for a Christmas gift, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think. Uh, and that's why I chose to go through an academic publisher with this one, you know. Um, but but it is worth reading, you know, and I, I think it, it's fair to say it's probably one of the the most uh, shocking um, collection of, of, of incidents that's ever been put to paper. And certainly this is something which most translators would 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 steer away from, you know, would, would not want to bring open. But but, you know, I, I really felt that it's the truth, you know, and, and the truth shouldn't be hidden. You know, because um, it, it I'm so us. glad you still you stuck it out and did it. I remember you were thinking about not doing it. I was like, oh, man, do it, do it, do it. Uh, <laughs> so glad you did. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Steve, but thanks for your encouragement, too. Uh, no, no, hey, it's just, it's just I, I can encourage anybody. I'm not the one doing it, but I, you're the, you were the one that had to put pen to paper on this one. So, no, I'm just glad you ended up doing it and. that. Uh, uh, yeah, no, go to the website, go to Amazon, go to the website that the local guys can go get it. Uh, share it to a friend who doesn't believe that everything's all sunshine and lollipops either. I don't know. Uh, and, yeah, any final thoughts, Father? Uh, well, Steve, I'd just like to, uh, to extend my best wishes to you and to all of your viewers for the uh, forthcoming solemnity of Corpus Christi. And, you know, it's a such a wonderful occasion when we're reminded of the
presence of Christ in us, that he's always so close to us. And whatever happens in life, you know, uh, life is difficult. We carry our cross, we follow our Lord, um, but he's always there. He's right there beside us and he will be until the end of time. So may God bless you all. Amen to that. Thank you, Father. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, talk soon on the Aloysius one. Thanks, Steve. Goodbye.